Welcome to the Georgia 2024 show. This is just a quick intro. We're pre-taping the show today because we're on the road, but we have some special guests. We have Chris Gleason, who's going to talk about the election fraud in Florida, which is ongoing and enabled by the legislature. We have Garland Favorito to give an overview of what's happening in Georgia. We have Marcy McCarthy to talk about DeKalb County and the shenanigans there. And Bill Quinn will wrap up with an overview of Fannie Willis uh, giving immunity to in the Trump witch hunt, which is also ongoing. So please support us, support free media. Go sign up for our no-ad subscriptions. You get all of our sites, 12 at last count, around the world, and more coming. Local news all the way to the global. CDM, there's nothing like us. And with Tucker gone, there's a void to fill, and we need to grow and fill it and bring you good, high-quality reporting from around the world. No machines, all human reporting. So please sign up for our no-ad subscriptions. And with that, well, let's move on to our guests and enjoy the show. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Information Operation. Wow, Florida is blowing up. Massive stories on election fraud across the state. We have with us the guy who's found most of it, Chris Gleason. Welcome back, Chris. Hey, Don, how are you? So, uh, wow, so you've, you've, we broke a story this morning on Palm Beach. Why don't we start there and just tell us what you received back from them? Sure. So we've been working with other volunteers uh, across the state and they're helping us get data and yet um, we ended up getting some interesting stuff yesterday morning and what we found was that this report that we had been trying to get from Palm Beach County for months absolutely months and they have been absolutely resistant to giving us this report we finally got a copy of it and what we found on the report was that um, that they had played some games and they got caught. And so we caught uh, some of the interesting things. And so that, again, led us to ask for some more additional reports to see if things lined up. And what we found was in the second set of reports that we got, um, they... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they ended up uh, outing themselves pretty good. And by modifying, again, uh, these official election reports, which, by the way, in Florida is a third degree felony. So uh, we well, ended up, yeah, so we ended up catching them on that. And the, those reports that we requested in uh, Palm Beach County, we knew what other uh, reports and data to ask for for the other counties. So we did a massive public records request uh, through ourselves and some uh, of our volunteers requesting some more data. And uh, the first reply back that we got for these follow-up reports was from Miami-Dade. And their, uh, their response to the request for these reports and data is that um, they can't these, these interject. These are demanded by current Florida law, correct? These are, these are demanded yeah. by current Florida law, both yeah. through actually through the Florida constitution, mm -hmm. which has very, very, very strong public records request rights as a Florida voter. And then we have chapter 119 and then chapter 98, um, which is still in effect, even though, um, the Florida legislature has decided to um, legalize election uh, fraud. Um, so, yeah. So, th so you, so these reports, 
what did uh, what did the first one show in Palm Beach that you got? So in Palm Beach, we found that they um, you know that they backdated machines, generated you know, doctored numbers, generated a report. Okay, that's a problem. And the second report, which was the same version or not the same version, it was the same report, but now it had a new date. Mm-hmm. And what they did is they modified the file and we caught it. And so that prompted us to say, okay, well, we know where to look for that. And so we started requesting those reports and Miami Dade replied back and they said, well, you can't, you can't get that because it's critical election infrastructure. <laughs> no, it's not. And you are required to turn it over to us. So ultimately, the choice will be Miami-Dade's whether or not they um, get sued for the data, like I'm doing here in Pinellas County. Okay, because it's the same. It's it's essentially the same fact pattern in, in most of these counties in Florida. You know, uh, we don't have free elections; we have selections, and there's a variety of ways that they rig these elections. And we know where to look and we know what, what we're looking for. And unfortunately, um, you know, we have a governor who has no interest in election integrity. We have a, an attorney general who commits crimes to cover them up. And we've got a lot of uh, we've got a lot of problems here. So. So the uh, the just for audience sake as well, the bill that was recently put forward and passed and DeSantis may or may not sign coming up basically uh, eliminated the statutory requirement for those reports to be generated. So, boom, no reports, no fraud. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful to do that. Wow. Interesting. So there needs so public needs to put pressure on DeSantis to not sign this bill. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is. This is absolute. I mean, there are so many provisions of this um, bill that violate the Florida Constitution and violate um, the Voters' Bill of Rights, because in Florida we have this thing. It's called the Voter Bill of Rights, and you know, the most important thing is that our votes are accurately uh, cast and accurately counted, and that we can believe in the sanctity of our elections. And we can't do that with these machines and with them altering the laws to hide the massive election fraud that's going on, not by, not by, you know, uh, 2000 mules. Okay. But by the cartel, the election fraud cartel, you know? So 2000 mules was part of one arrow in the quiver. This is tiny. Yeah. 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 It was a small part. It was a small part, but you know, it did play a role and that's what these people are doing. So there's multiple vectors of attack because they don't want to put all their eggs in one basket because if you challenge the election, what they, the way it is, is they will say, Oh, well, it wasn't enough votes to materially impact the outcome of the election. That's the big thing that they like to say. But we found it. We found the evidence of it. We know where it is. We know what's going on. And here's the beauty of what we found. It's going on everywhere. Yeah. It's going on. Not in just Maryland. in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. It's going on in Maryland. It's going on in Georgia. It's going on in Arizona. It's going on in Wisconsin. You know, Pennsylvania. It's going on everywhere. Yeah. We know it. 
So um, how can the public help you, Chris? Well, uh, the public can help us by contacting Ron DeSantis here in Florida and urging him or actually ordering him because he's supposed to work for us, right? Yeah. Because apparently our legislature doesn't work for us. They work for the lobbyists that wrote the bill, who, by the way, are lobbyists for Dominion and Runback and ESNS and VR Systems, the whole election fraud, you know, cartel. So you've got to put, got to put pressure on them. And if you're in another state, okay, you need to be asking for these election reports because you, you, need to, you need to get them and you need to look at them and we need to find these blank ballots. We need to find these anomalies and we need to hold these people accountable for the fraud. So the bill, um, what was I going to say? I had a thought. Uh, essentially, well, I spaced the thought. So anything else you want to get out to the people? You know, you gotta you got to call the, the governor's office. Call You have to call because for every phone call, it, it's, it, it's 100 voters. It's the voice of 100 voters. Mm-hmm. So if everybody picks up the phone and call Ron DeSantis' office and tell him to not sign the election fraud legalization act. You got to call them and tell them that because that's what this is. And, you know, if I was in Palm beach County or in Broward County, I would be really mad right now because the amount of fraud that we've uncovered there is the disenfranchisement of many, 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 many voters in Broward County. There was over 60,000 voters who had their right to vote stripped away by the Broward County Supervisor of Elections. That's a lot. So I remembered what I was going to say, that the Defend Florida and others put a lot of pressure on the legislature to not pass this bill, and it was completely ignored. Yep, so, it was completely yeah. ignored because yeah. they're all beneficiaries of the rigged election, and they're willing to do whatever they can at this point to hold on to power because they don't want to do the will of the people. Because they were selected. Yeah. And so, um, wow. So anyway, Chris, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Um, I had some other questions, but my brain isn't working today. So we'll have you on again soon. Thank you. Okay. Garland, thank you for joining us again today. Uh, You know, we've been talking all week. First, I want to just talk about uh, the bill 7050, Senate Bill 7050 in Florida. We've been discussing it back and forth. Tell me if you have any comments on that going forward. Well, yeah, there's a lot of um, discrepancies, even amongst uh, the election integrity advocates. Some saying that it is an improvement. Others say it's it's absolutely toxic. So um, there are some good things in the bill, but I think your article uh, that came out, uh, I guess it was yesterday, pointed out some really uh, uh, questionable things that are have not yet been explained and. Uh, what it appears to be is an attack on transparency. Um, the, um, the, a lot of the provisions that are used, in fact, I think is some of the stories that you had mentioned, Todd, that in regards to uh, the blank vote, voted ballots that Chris Gleason has found and, mm-hmm. and um, as well as a lot of some of the other things, uh, appears it would not be as easy to find or maybe even impossible once the legislation is is uh, entered, 
or, or, or passed uh, because there are these questionable provisions that you pointed out in the article that um, appear to be attack on uh, transparency. So uh, obviously transparency is the most critical thing that we could possibly have in elections because that's the only way you can verify election results and and uh, and other things, you know, detecting counterfeits and so on. So those questions, I believe, should be answered mm -hmm. before uh, Governor DeSantis signs the bill. Uh, so they, we really uh, don't want to go backwards in terms of of uh, transparency. And it's not clear to me mm -hmm. that the bill uh, is exclusively moving forward. It appears to be there's a real a uh, significant issue that the, you know, these, and these could be in fact toxic if in fact they look like they, uh, they seem to appear that, you know, there, there are some cases where language could have been moved to different sections and so on. And therefore there could be some legitimate reasons for, for some of the strikes, but it doesn't appear to me that there is legitimate reason for all the strikes that you've pointed out. So uh, interesting to see how this, plays out I probably in another week or so we'll we'll have a, a concrete um, mm. uh, a position on on what exactly is going on with this bill so uh, the the article you're mentioning is on the front page of the Miami Independent and will be on the Georgia record today I'm told so um, people can look at it there and essentially what Chris Gleason is saying is that the the ability he found to to prove the election fraud with the machines in Florida is being stripped out with this bill or possibly so that's that's what you're discussing. Um, thanks for exactly. that. Thanks for those comments. Um, and we'll follow up on that next week. But tell us uh, where you are with George voter GA on all your cases. Has there been any updates, any movement? I mean, it seems like the uh, we've heard news this morning or last night that the that Fannie Willis is moving forward with some of the fake elector, alleged fake elector, uh, you know, immunities for again the Trump lawsuit. But what, what's going on with voter GA's legal activity in Georgia? Well, well, we have uh, six active lawsuits um, mm -hmm. at last count, and a couple of them involve Fulton County. Mm -hmm. And Fannie Willis has to know about that, or excuse me, Fannie Willis, mm -hmm. uh, that because she's the Fulton County District Attorney, and uh, the Fulton County Attorney's Office is representing. Fulton County, a couple in our cases. So uh, she has to know about those, but she never called us to give evidence to the grand jury. Hmm. Uh, nobody from the grand jury contacted us. Nobody from the district attorney's office in which she runs contacted us. And we believe that we have collected overwhelming evidence in the last two years that proved there were fraud, errors, and irregularities in the, um, in the 2020 election and that that election should have never been certified. And that's not just our conclusion. That is the conclusion of the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee that investigated uh, this. Hmm. Uh, so they investigated the matter. They had multiple hearings. They came to that conclusion. Um, and they uh, are obviously right because we have found uh, overwhelming evidence in the last two years that show that they were right and that there's uh, um, even more uh, that has been uncovered since uh, December of 2020. So um, obviously with that many questions that are surrounding uh, the, um, the, you know, the certification of that election, 
the um, Republicans certainly had the right um, to uh, establish uh, electors in the event that the Congress decided to investigate that and and then uh, make a different decision. Mm-hmm. So that's their right. It's, it's not the first time that's ever happened. It, I think it was 1876 with uh, Samuel Tilden and uh, Ruth B. Hayes when I think when they had done the same thing then. So there's no big deal. So this is another, um, it's, it's another attempt to damage uh, former President Trump with uh, a political smear that has no significant meaning in federal or state law. So you're kind of breaking news here. So we have a case uh, or grand jury form to investigate possible uh, interference in the election by President Trump, but you're the most premier voting uh, induction integrity group nonprofit in Georgia with a long track record on with a non nonpartisan track record. And you're saying the DA had nothing to say to you with your multiple cases uh, regarding the grand jury. Well, that's exactly right, Todd. And there is no one in the entire world that has done more investigative research into the 2020 Georgia election than voter Mm -hmm. GA. Mm -hmm. So uh, why would you not go to the horse's mouth, particularly when you know that the, uh, you know, that, you know, with our existing lawsuits, she, she has to know, Full, yeah. well, full well that we exist uh, because Fulton County is being represented, represented by the people in the you know, Fulton County Attorney's Office. And the Georgia Supreme Court just pushed the case back exactly. to, to the court, the local court. So, yeah. Wow. And that was that was national news yeah. uh, on the topic that uh, Fannie Willis is supposed to be investigating. Um, so um, this is all um, a facade, quite yeah. frankly. What about your other cases? I interrupted you there. So- no, that's fine. Uh, but no, you're right. So that court, uh, the Supreme Court has put that back to the Court of Appeals. Court of Appeals has sat on that case for four months. We're trying to get them to move on it. Uh, Are you going to do anything? Can you, is there any way you, you have any relief or any leverage to force that? Well, we already have a motion to expedite with the mm-hmm. Georgia Court of Appeals. All they have to do is spend one day or probably even a couple, two hours Mm -hmm. and say that they adopt the Georgia Supreme Court decision. That's really what they're required to do in Georgia uh, and any other state. And that they remand the case back to the um, Superior Court where it was before. Mm -hmm. Uh, That should take all of about two hours to do that. They have elected to, uh, it seems to be sitting on this case um, um, for reasons that we just don't know. Uh, there is no legitimate. Well, the consequence is that the case doesn't move forward and Georgia doesn't, doesn't get free elections. I mean, let's be honest. Oh, right? absolutely. So, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's not just, you know, there is a direct consequences to the future of the Republic from this court's behavior. Am I wrong? Oh, uh, abs- no, you're not wrong at all. Yes. Yeah. And in addition, just to top add what you already said, mm-hmm. Todd, um, you know, the ballots, I mean, they're delaying to the point where there is extreme risk that the ballots uh, could be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if we had moved on it, it as soon as Fulton, the, Spirit, the uh, Supreme Court moved and ruled, I don't think we'd have that problem. But now as months go by, it's like they're sitting there waiting for the ballots to be destroyed 
mm -hmm. uh, before they make a ruling. I don't know if they're calling up Fulton County every day to check on it, but uh, it just seems uh, I, I can see no reason for the Georgia Court of Appeals to sit on a case that the Georgia Supreme Court has already ruled on. Makes no sense to me, um, but we're doing everything we can to try to move that case back to where it belongs. And it, it, it appears, the I mean, it gives the appearance that the court is corrupt. I mean, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. They certainly have the appearance of corruption now. Mm -hmm. uh, they had the appearance of corruption when uh, the initial ruling uh, in the case, uh, well, you know, I kind of understand the judge. He, he was in a political hot potato and he didn't have the courage to do the right thing like he should have. Mm -hmm. uh, but but to have a three a three member panel of the Court of Appeals uphold uh, a uh, an order or a position that is so contrary to the history of the state of Georgia in terms of precedence, it is unbelievable that the Court of Appeals in the first place uh, ruled to uphold the fact that the people of Georgia have no standing to sue an election official or agency that violates the law. The Georgia Supreme Court unanimously stated that, uh, that we have had standing since the inception of the state of Georgia in 1788. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, it's absolutely uh, an absurd position for the Court of Appeals to have taken uh, in the uh, first place. So they should have kicked it back. Uh, now, not only do they kick it, uh, not kick it back, but now they're sitting on it. Uh, so absolutely. Can the, can the Supreme Court force them to move? Or, or is that an um, option? We, uh, it, that's, it's, it's questionable. Mm -hmm. uh, the Supreme Court has already made their order. Um, we have, uh, we've had a motion to preserve with the Supreme Court of those ballots. And they basically said, hey, we've already ruled yeah. that, you know, uh, you know, we've kicked this case back to, to the Court of Appeals. Go, you know, and basically, you'll know, talk to the Court of Appeals. Mm -hmm. we, we put the motion to preserve the ballots to the Superior Court. He claimed that he did not have the uh, authority to do that because the case was under appeal. That was the judge in that case. And then the Court of Appeals is not uh, preserving the ballots um, either. Mm -hmm. So the whole case looks like uh, the whole thing looks like a conspiracy to yeah. disenfranchise every voter in the state of Georgia. So nationwide, when people say, well, election fraud has never been proven in court, well, they're not letting it get to the court is essentially. Well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what they've done is they basically blocked us from discovery. Yeah. yeah. We, we have a lot of discovery on this and some other cases that we are not uh, able to get because the uh, the 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 courts and the are holding us up. So we have about two more minutes, Garland. Give us a quick overview on the rest of your cases. If there's anything else yeah. you want to get out. Uh, so the Dominion case, uh, the the lawsuit to ban the Dominion system in Georgia, lawsuit filed against the state of Georgia, is also in the Court of Appeals. That's been in the Court of Appeals way longer. Uh, we think that that's going to be overturned as well, and we're going to get another shot at that either. Mm by the Court of Appeals or the um, Supreme Court, which we'll go to if, if the Court of Appeals does not rule in our favor. Then we have the law, the case uh, to uh, ban the um, 
uh, the uh, vo private voter data from being um, given to third parties. There's multiple violations of Georgia law. We have not had a hearing on that case, but we did uh, subpoena the Connick servers in California. Uh, and that, that's still an active subpoena, but the LA district attorney is fighting us on that. We expanded that lawsuit to include Eric, the notorious uh, mm -hmm. uh, third party voter registration system, David Becker's uh, Soros funded um, um, or organization. And then we have uh, one or two other suits. We got a lawsuit to ban the, the um, against several counties for, for destroying the original 2020 ballot images. Over 1.7 million images were destroyed across uh, about 70 counties. Uh, and there's probably one or two other uh, lawsuits that are escaping my, my mind for the minute. Right. That's, that's sort of a nutshell of, of where we are at a very high level. How do people help Voter GA, Garland? Uh, well, we go to uh, VoterGA.org. Uh, um, there's a wealth of information out there. Get familiar with it, tell other people. Um, and then of course, um, uh, we always, we survive on donations from patriots like those who watch, you know, your show and, and, and others. And uh, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, um, nonpartisan, and everything's tax deductible. And uh, we don't, you know, take salaries. I'm, I'm, I don't take a salary. Um, and we use all the money that we can for the lawsuits. Garland, thank you for coming on. I know you're busy and in demand from everywhere. So thanks for taking the time. Always got time for you, Todd. Thank All you. Right. All right. We are delighted today to be joined by Marcy McCarthy. Uh, Marcy has been serving as the GOP chair to DeKalb County, and um, she is uh, looking to make the next move. And so we thought it a wonderful time to bring Marcy on and, and have everybody learn more about her background and her plans going forward. So Marcy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. I'm looking forward to having a great conversation. So uh, I mentioned you served as the GOP chair in, in DeKalb, probably, I guess most people would consider it one of the more challenging counties uh, for those with a conservative viewpoint. Um, why don't you spend a, a, a few minutes, tell us a little bit about your background and maybe your experiences while you've been serving in, uh, in DeKalb. Absolutely. So I was elected originally in DeKalb County to be the Republican chair uh, in 2021, and then was just unanimously reelected for second term. And I can hold both positions in terms of being a Georgia GOP first vice chair, as well as the DeKalb GOP chair, and have the full support of the DeKalb GOP, as well as my family, and uh, many, many folks that have encouraged me to take this next step to bring, um, to reinvent the Georgia GOP, quite frankly. We need to be a year-round service organization working in off-cycle election times, as well as in full gear of with a presidential election coming up. Uh, additionally, taking the success model that we have built into Cab County, as you mentioned, it's a tough county. I've been traveling throughout the state and have a lot of bless your hearts, but I don't need blessings. Uh, I need your votes. But, but in all seriousness, we are the second bluest county in the state of Georgia. So mm -hmm. what we've been able to do is pretty remarkable. We were able to, in the primary, double the Republican voter turnout we are the fourth largest county, so that is pretty substantial. And then increase the margins of victory by tens of thousands of votes, which retained our majority in the General Assembly, as well as you know, re-electing or electing our constitutional officers. Just a quick question on that, how, uh, if I could just interject. How many voters are in DeKalb? 
uh, Republican right-leaning, we've identified approximately about 100,000 of them. Okay. So it's a very, so it is actually, we're in uh, one of the largest counties, as I mentioned. So there's a lot of opportunity for us uh, to connect with even more voters in the presidential cycle. And that's my, my hope that we can do that on a statewide basis in a lot of these densely populated areas. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we did do is put 25 candidates on the ballot in the primary, uh, 17 on the general, and that really inspired Republicans for the first time in decades uh, in a mostly Democrat county uh, to come out and vote and vote for Republicans and other Republicans. We brought forth kitchen table politics type of issues uh, that were about improving our schools, uh, addressing the economy. And across the board, we connected with so many different voters and we did so in a myriad of formats. We did so in a digital basis where we had Facebook advertising that was targeted by neighborhoods uh, in parts of DeKalb County with certain types of messages, kind of playing on what President Trump did back in 2016 so successfully Mm -hmm. on the Facebook platform and really understanding the data. We had both volunteer and paid canvassing um, for targeted areas uh, for where there was opportunities, where there was probability of low propensity type of Republican voters that didn't have necessarily a reason, but needed to be educated and encouraged to come out and vote as we saw happen. And additionally, we uh, connected um, with our community. And finally, we, you know, did a lot of work on our election integrity, our fitness, faith, integrity, and trust in our elections. So we worked with our elections office leadership, as well as Democrats to define business processes that made sense for poll watching, vote review panels, and how we were going to have the rules of engagement. So if there was a problem, we could say something, see something, and escalate it to our elections director and have it resolved within about a 24-hour period. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had a direct line of communication with our board of elections representatives, as well as our elections director during the entire early voting and election day and election night period. And that made a huge difference. One question on that: Did you did that seem to help? Uh, do you think during the midterms? Absolutely, because everyone was engaged. Everyone was uh, better trained on our side and their side. There was there obviously was hiccups. I don't want to say and mislead anybody that there was not you know hiccups and, and issues along the way. But because we had an immediate escalation path to talk through the situation and then have ability to have it resolved very quickly it didn't fester and turn into a whole misinformation campaign or misunderstandings and create ill will uh, and keep voters at home by the fact of the matter is we saw something we said something we had a plan to escalate it and then communicated what we saw and said uh, and then had them turn around and and resolve the problem and if it couldn't be resolved we figured out how to get that forward so most of our situations were you know, where the poll watcher was standing or being able to observe properly and, you know, checking uh, the scanning equipment, the poll pads and things like that. But yep. a lot of times, many of these precincts ha- had longstanding uh, poll workers and poll managers there that have never had an ob- observing type of team on site. So there was some misunderstanding, miscommunication across the board. But once we got that resolved, it made a big, big difference. It gave people faith, you know, that their vote was mattering and counting. And uh, 
it, it made a huge difference. And then we had record number of poll watchers uh, participating. And when, during the runoff elections um, for uh, Herschel Walker against uh, Raphael Warnock, we had paid poll watchers by partnering with the National Republican Senate Committee. So on a runoff election day, we had almost 100% coverage and paid our, they, by partnering with them, we were able to pay for the poll watchers, have them trained and certified to be there. And it made a world of difference because people were accountable uh, to a job, you know, a, a job that they had to do. Uh, and if there was a problem, again, they had an escalation path. They could call into our call center. We conveyed that to our board of election representatives and our elections director. And I, many times throughout that day, I can tell you, I was on the phone with all three of them coming back. We got it resolved, moved on to the next situation. And we, and we had a record number of voters. Yeah, from what I, what I recall, very few of the uh, counties had um, 100%. Some weren't very close to 100%. So that sounds like pretty good progress. So as we look um, forward now, you know, you're running for first vice chair. Tell us a little bit about how did you decide that that was the, the place you wanted to, uh, you know, to make your run? Well, I've had so many positive experiences across the board. And we've seen positive outcomes as well. So a lot of encouragement from friends and family, political contacts, political friends, colleagues. They were like, Marcy, please take this on a statewide basis. Help our densely populated areas. Help all parts of our state to understand a couple of things. And working with other county chairs, because I am a count current county chair in one of the most difficult counties, as you referenced. And I'm working with the other county chairs. So simply, it's just evolving the role more of an official basis in a statewide manner so we can replicate the work that we're doing uh, and, uh, and adapt it as necessary because it's not one size fits all across the state. We have a lot of different parts of our state. We are a very diverse state. But taking that knowledge, that expertise, understanding how that would work on a different county type of basis in the metro mm -hmm. area or a rural county and adapt it accordingly. So working in collaboration by mm -hmm. working together to re not reinvent everything, which is sort of happening right now uh, to rather, again, go on and be a year round service organization. So that knowledge transfer, when we've had a tremendous amount of brand new leadership coming in, that the transition of power is seamless. Uh, the leaders that have been elected by the county and the grassroots and the, con and the congressional districts are ready to rock and roll. So they have the tools and the technology and the infrastructure to hit the ground running for precinct training, poll watcher training, recruitment of candidates, uh, creating a win-win situation across our state. Because if we don't do that effectively, we will not be able to take back the White House in 2024. And I'm even optimistic that we might be able to flip another congressional seat like we did in the 6th District this time. Yeah. So as you look, um, you know, based on what uh, hopefully will be for you a successful outcome from this uh, coming state convention, what do you, what would be your, I don't know, top three or so objectives for the coming year uh, as, uh, you know, as you look forward to what you could accomplish from the, from the first vice chair uh, seat? Well, I'd love to see a doubling of Republican voter turnout in places that have been incredibly difficult to, to garner the turnout, uh, as well as in our rural counties that are reliably red but are not coming out across the board. So voter turnout of Republicans is essential. We also need to have uh, candidates 
people have to have a reason to come out. So supporting our candidates with a candidate-based infrastructure, whether it's helping them on the digital, we're not running their campaigns, but empowering them to have successful campaigns. And then third is ensuring our fitness, faith, integrity, and trust in our elections and having the election integrity restored. So people will come out voting early, uh, preferably in person. And this way we're taking them out of game day reliance and voting uh, and getting them out of the queue so that we can have those reliable resources to help us kind of get to the finish line so that we can have a record number of turnout additionally have a record number of winning candidates to retain all of our majorities and maybe take on some additional ones as well. So if we want to really take back and our state, we have to put all those three things in place. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. So you, you mentioned sort of um, making change, but not making um, sweeping change, you know, not having to start over from scratch in, in every case. Um, there's a there's a, a little bit of an interesting dynamic that some counties are reporting where um, Republican um, party groups, um, in some cases those that lost elections in the in the uh, county and in district conventions, seem to be forming kind of their own thing, kind of a you know incorporating a new Republican coalition or or so. Have, have you seen that? And is that happening in DeKalb? Or what's your thoughts on what may be driving that, do you think? Well, first and foremost, Bill, I fight Republican, I'm sorry, I fight Democrats, Democrats in the second Lewis County. And really, where when you're a minority in a county that is surrounded by Democrats, I have to focus on them uh, most, most overall, not Republicans and getting into the the weeds of some of this. But what brings yeah. us together ultimately is our shared values. There's going to be incidents of times when we have different opinions about different issues. That's okay. That's what makes us a diverse party. But we, what brings us together is really those shared values. And ultimately, I'm very confident when we look at uh, the whole spectrum, we realize that we need each other to win and we can't do it without each other. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I, I recall that you've been involved with is some of the uh, legislative moves in the last, oh gosh, um, you know, in this last session. There was a lot of drama going on, as, as I'm sure you know. Um, uh, folks were speaking up uh, both in favor and against bills. And uh, in, in more than one case, we heard from the legislators themselves that they almost had never seen this kind of civic public involvement in the past. There's a lot of lot of attention. So I, I seem to recall you were focused on um, uh, one of the bills, especially the, was it two two twenty two. Tell us a little bit about what that was and and the outcome of all of that uh, uh, discussion. Well, when DeKalb County found itself in the face of Zuckerbuck's two where our election board representatives, the Republicans there, where there's two, uh, were blindsided by the fact that. DeKalb County was awarded um, $2 million from CTCL. And we, what we later found out is that the CFO uh, of DeKalb County secretly applied for a grant in May of 2022 uh, and ultimately uh, wanted to refer his friend in Clayton County, uh, the elections director. So all this money was being funneled to our elections office. 
I sprang into action, worked with so many different amazing people on a national and local level, our grassroots, our elections, Georgia GOP election task force, as well as Cleta Mitchell, Ned Jones, uh, just Julie Adams. I mean, it's just an amazing, amazing uh, endeavor of teamwork uh, of folks coming together. Mm -hmm. uh, I called all of our elected officials, um, people I was texting, calling for you know, about a few days and all of a sudden all these calls and texts started coming back. It was absolutely astounding uh, what we were able to have happen in, in warp speed. And what I've been told is unprecedented on February 21st, uh, the Senate bill SB 222 was introduced into the Senate hopper championed by uh, chairman, Senator Max Burns, who's absolutely amazing and championed that bill, got it through crossover day out of committees. Uh, I learned so much actually about our process. And then on March 29th was which Sindine, the General Assembly passed SB 222. And I'm proud to say this bill brought the grassroots and our elected officials together. What was absolutely amazing with this bill that every, every single Republican voted in favor, whether in the Georgia House, in the Georgia Senate, uh, they voted not one abstention, not one absence, nothing. And that was not on the case on the Democrat side. Now, we had none come over with us. But the fact of the matter, we experienced unity because nobody wanted third party funding. And let me tell you quickly just what this bill does. It stops Zuckerbucks. It stops third third party funding from filtering in through municipalities and counties like it was attempting to do in DeKalb County. And if they try to do that, it is specifically a criminal felony with a minimum jail sentence of one year and paying a $10,000 uh, minimum fine. So you're going to have to pay your own Zuckerbucks if you solicit or <laughs> accept this money. So it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And then what didn't happen at SB 202 is we never funded our state board of elections and actually completed the process of electing a chairman out of the General Assembly. Well, because of SB 222, all those things happen. And our state board of elections is a separate entity outside of the secretary of state's office. So this and additionally, every election office in the county level has to be fiscally responsible by submitting a budget and living within their means like every other line of business leader out there across the board and every other American. So the fact of the matter is they can't change the, the face of it. Taxpayer dollars are funding our elections uh, overall. So this is a really amazing breakthrough and it's stopping Zuckerbucks coming back from Georgia because unfortunately we had about, we think around $45 million uh, of it uh, that filtered in through mostly blue counties on an unaccounted or unmonitored basis. So, mm -hmm. and I opened up and um, I filed a complaint right after all this happened, as I mentioned, submitted an OR and uh, they produced 255 pages, and I'm very hopeful that our state board of elections will do the right thing and ensure that SB 222 and the spirit of SB 202, which is to have equity amongst all of our county elections offices, uh, actually be fulfilled yeah. in their that mission. As we as we spoke a few minutes ago, I think uh, the state board of elections needs to expect that folks are going to keep their eyeballs on what they're doing, just as they've begun now doing with the legislature. And uh, I, I, I guarantee you, we're going to be doing our part to help that. So uh, absolutely. And you guys have been out there on the front line. So I want to thank you guys for keeping 
everybody yeah. on us. So thank you very much. So we appreciate you being here. I uh, I know we've got some time between now and the uh, uh, and the state convention. So hopefully we'll have the chance to have you on again, uh, Marcy. Uh, in in the meantime, are there are there places that folks should go to learn more about you and and perhaps uh, get involved and so forth? Absolutely. So please visit my website, Marcy mccarthy.us and that's spelled m-a-r-c-i mccarthy m-c-c-a-r-t-h-y dot u-s you can also find me on twitter at marcy mccarthy.us as well as truth as well as getter as well as facebook so it's unanimous across the board follow me on social media visit my website uh and i'm looking for and i have a whole upcoming events page on marcymccarthy.us as well as put all the social media uh, or all my upcoming events and appearances out there and it is such a robust campaign schedule uh, i'm talking about 30 different campaign events that i'm attending throughout the state wow. and the invitations keep rolling in and i'm trying to figure out cloning so bill you got to help me figure out the next thing of cloning so I, i've got some great surrogates that have been out there as well uh and i've loved every every minute of meeting all these great patriots and delegates and just getting to all parts of our state and hearing firsthand why we need each other to win and how we're going to reinvent the georgia gop that's great we look forward to seeing you again and uh, good luck with the progress in the meantime thank you so much for joining us marcy thank you for having me good afternoon this week, we were witness yet again to another district attorney going to extraordinary lengths to try and create a case against President uh, Trump, this time right here in Atlanta. Let's take a moment and recall the situation immediately following the 2020 elections. After hundreds of complaints and reports of oddities surrounding the election process and, and the counts all across Georgia, ultimately two slates of electors were created. One slate was led by the Democrats, who claimed victory by a little over 11,000 votes in the state of 6 million voters. Uh, and a second slate of alternative electors put forth by the Republican Party under the theory that objections to the elections might require a decision in Congress as to which slate of electors would be deemed correct. Certain states plan to put forth objections uh, to electors being considered for Biden, given the emergence of uh, emerging evidence of anomalies present in a number of states. Ultimately, the Senate and House voted to not sustain these objections and instead accepted the elector delegations promised to Biden. Now, uh, after nearly two years, Fannie Willis, the DA for South Fulton County, has, like Alvin Bragg in New York, dedicated herself and her department to searching for means to bring charges against President Trump. Last summer, the alternative electors, there's 16 of them, from here in Georgia received news that they were targets of the investigation. And yesterday, eight of the 16 alternative delegates were granted immunity. Now, why would you do this? Immunity is a common concession when prosecutors wish to ensure testimony from a witness. What, uh, what, what could Ms. Willis and her department be asking these eight who have now been granted immunity? 
Mrs. Ms. Willis investigation has seen some pretty rough waters, not the least of which are the bizarre statements and numerous interviews given by the foreman of the grant, the special grand jury um, brought by Ms. Willis um, in the course of the last year. She's been using that grand jury to push forward the investigation. In February, just a few months ago, the jury foreman, Emily Coors, um, went on a series of television interviews and discussed the case, opinions about the information, facts that were in deliberation and more. And what's interesting is jury, uh, grand jury proceedings are generally intended to remain secret and attorneys have noted that discussion of such things as were spoken of by Ms. Coors is prohibited by law, yes, yet Ms. Coors did it anyway. Shortly thereafter, social media po posts were found associated with Ms. Coors' accounts, leading uh, many to conclude that she believes in uh, and perhaps practice some type of witchcraft, believe it or not. That discovery seemed to end Ms. Kaur's, uh 15 minutes of fame. More recently, one of the defense attorneys may be providing some visibility to the strategy being employed by Ms. Willis' department. In a filing recently, Ms. Kimberly Burroughs DeBrow, a defense attorney for certain of the electors, described the actions of Nathan Wade, one of the prosecutors in the case. Mr. Wade made outrageous threats and engaged in intimidation tactics in front of the elector being interviewed when Mr. Wade believed the recording had stopped, threatening to revoke their immunity and indict them, which he has no authority to do, all to try and silence defense counsel and prevent the truth from coming out, Ms. DeBrow wrote. One wonders what extent Ms. Willis will go to in trying to find evidence against Trump. Recently, a notable national attorney said that those in law enforcement are supposed to use evidence to lead them to a crime and investigate to find the suspects. They are not supposed to decide who they are targeting and then work to find evidence of some crime. If the proceedings to date are any indication, Ms. Willis may be following a course similar to Alvin Bragg in New York, who, although previous investigations of the same facts, found no crime, Bragg elected to paste together facts from several areas and try to create a crime from the combination of information assembled. The result is a case that law professor Alan Dershowitz claimed could easily be dismissed by even a first-year law student. We also wonder which of the 16 electors decided to take the, this immunity deal and what they think they know or are willing to say that could be of use to a prosecutor in such a volatile and tenuous investigation. The Georgia record will stay on this and bring you more as further facts emerge.